We're here with the one and only Marcus Sheridan. Marcus was named one of 20 speakers you don't want to miss by Forbes. He's also being called a web marketing guru by the New York Times. His book, They Ask You Answer, was rated the number one marketing book to read in 2017 by Mashable. Today, he gives over 70 global keynotes yearly on the subject of sales, marketing, and the future of business, while also owning Impact, a leading inbound marketing agency. Real Life Superpowers Maybe let's just start with uh, what you're up to these days. So right now, I speak full-time around the world. It's been really amazing. And actually, this year uh, roughly marks uh, 10 years. And this November marks exactly 10 years from the time that I started a, a personal blog to where I am today. So, so I started my swimming pool company blog in March of 2009. I started a personal blog called The Sales Lion because I was having success in November of 2009. And that's what's really taken me on this path because the first couple of years, nobody listened, I don't think, for the most part. And then all of a sudden, a couple of people said, hey, can you teach my company how to do what you did with your swimming pool company? And then it just took off from there. So I've got the agency now that's uh, thriving. I still have the swimming pool company that's doing very well. And uh, it's really been an amazing, crazy 10 years. And, you know, just before we sort of started recording, uh, we were looking at a poster behind you that talks about a brief uh, history of content marketing which uh, sort of reflects the fact that content marketing has been around for ages and ages. And yet it appears that people don't really understand how to utilize it well enough and that you've sort of tapped into something starting with your uh, pool company. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah. So I I think a lot of people originally got annoyed with the phrase content marketing because sometimes people would say, well, that's not new. And you're right. There's there's actually – uh, we've been using information to generate uh, trust, and I would consider teaching to generate trust, especially with the written word for, uh, I mean, gracious, thousands of years. So fundamentally, it's it's not new. Now, we do have to look at it in a, in a different light now because the the internet has changed everything, right? The, the digital age has changed everything, and I think you know, really, a lot of it comes back to that to that study by Forster, which essentially says that roughly 70% of the buying decisions made before someone talks to a salesperson today on average. Now, in some industries, it's a little bit higher, a little bit lower. But you know, if you went back 20 years and you said, well, what was that number 20 years ago? It's probably 20 to 30%. So today we're at 70%. The question is, where are we going to be over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And this is happening because of the proliferation of information online. And the fact is that people would much rather learn about it themselves before they learn about it with a salesperson. And you think this wasn't the case years ago? Well, they just didn't have that option. Uh, I mean, it used to be before that a salesperson did handle 70, 80, 90% of the actual sale, right? So I want a car. I'm going to go to the car dealership, learn about the car there or learn about on commercials. You didn't have a place to go. You couldn't look up in the encyclopedia, you know, all about, you know, Ford's latest model, maybe a magazine, but for the most part, most learning happened with the interaction with the salesperson. Those days are completely gone. And what's really scary is most companies still have not adjusted to this because it essentially means two things in terms of sales and marketing. Marketing is handling the majority of the sale at this point. That's fact. It's inarguable. Anybody that doesn't accept that is definitively going to be left behind. It doesn't mean that salespeople don't matter. It doesn't mean that there's still not a lot of things from the past that are very, very fundamental to sales and marketing success. Just means that marketing is handling the majority of the sale at this point. And if that's the case, then here's the two things that need to happen. Sales need to say, okay, I need to be involved with marketing, which is absolutely true. And marketing needs to say, well, we need to be accountable for actual numbers and return on investment. And we can't just be here to talk about, you know, rainbows and flowers, we need to actually show revenue for the company. And if a marketing team is not showing revenue, what's eventually going to happen is their budget is going to be cut. They're not going to prove their worth. They're certainly not going to get an individual raise. This is a big problem. It's a huge problem uh, right now. I mean, in fact, what's crazy about this, I've been writing about digital sales and marketing for 10 years. The number one email that I've got over the course of 10 years 
I've gotten probably over a thousand at this point is from marketers that are frustrated that are getting ready to leave their position because they say, I'm so sick and tired of knowing what we need to do, but I can't get buy-in from leadership. I can't get buy-in from sales. Right. can't get them to catch the vision. That's a do, major do you problem. Feel, do you feel like that uh, CEO of uh, a publicist once told me that he feels that the difference right now is uh, once upon a time you would give an advertisement to let someone, the consumer know about your product and the places were, let's say, three TV spots, so you had three options, whoever let you know. Now there's 1,500 options where the problem is not knowing about it, but actually getting depth and detail or a user journey to actually sell that product. And that's what's the tipping point has changed because you're not trying to distribute the message anymore. It's into the detail. Well, yeah, the detail is huge. It's, it's funny. My, my agency, we have um, vetted over 50,000 articles for clients at this point. So 50,000 textual pieces of content. And we have found the exact same thing that Google has found. And that is people want more, not less. There's this whole myth that shorter when it comes to content is better. That's absolutely not true. Now on social, that is the play. Social is a, is a shorter play, but there's a reason why if you go into Google right now and you search something, the average first page result is more than a thousand words. So this concept of c- content should be short. No, 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 no. It shouldn't be short. It should be in the right applications. Yeah, a quick ad's going to be short, just enough to get somebody interested, right? So something that's targeted. Or a video on Facebook is going to be short because that's a shorter form of media. But if you go to anything that has to do with search, Search is a long game. Same with video. You go to YouTube right now. The average number one ranked video on YouTube is about 10 minutes long. Yet you still hear these stupid stats of people saying that all videos should be less than 90 seconds. That's outrageously false. Videos should be 90 seconds or less roughly on social media. But when it comes to people that are really getting into the weeds of the research, as you just mentioned, because they want meat and potatoes – question is who's willing to give it to them the problem though is meat and potatoes in this case is the good the bad and the ugly most companies aren't willing to address the hard questions and this is what made my story river pools what we did and ultimately this framework this philosophy of they ask you answer that's what made it take off uh, in the book take off is because it was pushing companies to talk about things they don't ever really talk about so let's revert back to that so you were fresh out of college, and this is what, like your first job as an adult, right? Yeah, pretty much. So I'm, I'm out of college, I'm, and I, I'm looking for what I'm supposed to be doing, really, for the rest of my life. And uh, as I'm looking around, my two buddies say, hey, we just started a swimming pool company, and we want to open this little store. Will you come run the store, and we're going to install pools outside and uh, in the field. And I said, yeah, I, I can help you with that until I find out what I'm going to do with my life. And so I just got really into it. And immediately I started learning everything about pools and hot tubs because that's what we were selling. And they saw my interest and they said, will you be a partner? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be a partner, but they said, no, why don't, you, why don't you be a partner? So I become a pool guy. And then we struggled to grow the business over the next um, seven, eight years, but we're coming along. And then all of a sudden, 2008 hits, the market collapses, and uh, over half the, the swimming pool companies in the U.S. went out of business during that time. It was a really brutal time, and we thought we were going to file bankruptcy. But if I filed bankruptcy, I was going to lose my home. My two business partners lost their homes. Our 16 employees at the time would have lost their jobs. So, you know, we had to figure out a way how to how to bring it back. And that's when I started to read about the internet and read content marketing social media, blogging, inbounds. But you know what I heard in my simple brain was, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions and you're willing to address them on your website through text and video, you might save your business. But how did you reach that conclusion? I mean, I'm sure. It just, it just, it was to me, it was like, oh, okay. This is obvious thing that's happening here. But this so, is a time where you're completely on the verge of collapsing. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing about it is like, I could see my own behavior. I could see how I was going online to learn everything pretty much at this point. I know I'm not unusual. That's what my customers are doing, what our potential customers are doing. So, yeah, I can communicate this stuff. 
I can talk about it. If there's one thing I can do is I could I can teach this stuff in a way that people can understand it. And so I knew we had to have a simple philosophy, and that's what it was. It was like, okay, if anybody's ever asked us a question, we're going to address it. The funny thing is when somebody really listens, a lot of the questions we get in business are negative questions. They're questions that people don't want to answer. And we just I, – I literally sat down one night and brainstormed all the questions I had gotten over the previous like eight years. And I had well over 100 questions. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And I just went into it. And immediately I started seeing it was making a difference. Uh, it was making a difference in two ways. First of all, when people were calling me, they were just thanking me. Because the thing about it is when you were in school, when you were in university, nobody taught you how to buy a swimming pool. Nobody taught you what to look for. Nobody taught you how much you were going to spend. Nobody taught you the good, the bad, and the ugly. You didn't learn this stuff. You see, most people, if they're lucky, they buy one pool in their life, right? And so nobody ever really bothered answering these questions. And so we did that, and they said thank you. And you could see the trust rise. But from a search perspective, the traffic just started to explode. I mean the traffic was just nuts. Really, it, like I could just see like, oh my goodness, my traffic was doubling month over month. month bop, 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 bop. To make a long story short, it became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. But the reason why this happened is because we were willing to address stuff that nobody had addressed. And this is the key really to the ask you answer. Let Can me you give you examples. Just, yeah, let me give you an example. I'll give you a few examples, right? So one thing that I discovered was there's basically five subjects that move the needle in every single industry, regardless of what you sell. This is B2B, B2C, service or product, local business, national business. There's literally five fundamental questions that people are researching before they talk to salespeople. And uh, I have not found the exception to this. And the five subjects are this. People are always interested in how much is it. Like they want to know cost factors, fees, rates, but not just like what is the price. They want to know all the factors that revolve around that number. What's going to drive it up? What's going to drive it down? So we talked about that. Um, so cost number one. Number two is people want to know the negatives. In other words, they start to think, well, if I'm going to buy this, how could it blow up in my face? What could go wrong? What could be the issues? All right. What is what are the, the negative things that people are saying about? So that's number two is the problem. So we've got costs and problems. Number three is comparisons. People are obsessed. You and I are obsessed with researching or comparing the one thing that we're looking at versus the other thing or things that we're looking at online. Be it a company, be it a brand, be it a methodology, be it a product, be it a service. So we love to compare online. So as to feel like okay, we've done our due diligence. Number four, we're obsessed with what other people are saying about stuff. So reviews. And number five, we want to know what the best thing is. Whenever we're researching that thing, we want to know which the best one is. doesn't mean we're going to buy the best one. We just want to know what the best one is. We call those the big five, cost, problems, versus review, and best. Now, here's what's crazy. Okay, This is what buyers are obsessed with, and most businesses completely shy away from talking about them. And in fact, if somebody's listening to this right now and you're producing content on your website, and I do this poll all the time with audience, so I'm going to have you all make a guess. Whenever I meet with audiences, I usually try to find out what percentage of their content currently aligns with those five questions. Guess what the percentage is? 20. Yeah, it's yeah. 20. Yeah, usually it's somewhere between 10 to 20% is what they say. And what's funny about that is that's what they say. And then when we look at the content, it's actually lower than that. They believe it's 10 to 20%. And so what I tell everyone is, at least for your first year, you should be at a minimum 75% of your content should revolve around those five things. Now, why? Because that's what the buyer is actually asking. And if the person's asking it, it means they're serious. It means... These are the questions that are going to help your sales team immediately, immediately, right? And this is what's going to produce the most fruit. The problem is most content that most companies produce is very, very fluffy. And the way you can know it's fluffy is this. How often does the salesperson or even customer service get asked that question? If they're not getting asked that question, guess what? It should probably wait. It's probably not nearly as important as other content. And so we talked about things like, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? No swimming pool company in the world had addressed that simple question on their website. Now, I've tracked it because we use, in our case, we use HubSpot. We, we track the you know, revenue of each piece of content we produce. That one's made well more than $7 million in sales at this point. That one single article. 
one article in terms of leads generated well over $7 million. We talked about what are the problems with fiberglass pools. People used to ask me all the time, what are the problems? No pool guy was talking about what the problems with fiberglass pools were. We openly talked about it. That's made well into the millions. We talked. We openly compared all types of fiberglass pools versus concrete pools versus vinyl liner pools. Any type of in-ground pool, we compared them with each other. Nobody was comparing pools. Why? Because you know, fiberglass pool companies were saying, oh, our biggest competitor is concrete pools, so we're not even going to talk about them on our website. Let's just act like they don't exist, and then this way nobody will, nobody will want to know about concrete pools, which but is what, stupid logic. But what about objectivity? Like how do you place that in it? Yes, so this is a great question. So in the book, we call that, or I call that disarmament, disarming. So kind of an odd analogy here, but whenever there's a hostage situation, the first thing that the negotiator does is they try to get the person to put the weapons down. The reason why you do that is because until somebody puts the weapon down, it's hard to open up a line of communication with them. So when you have somebody that is reading or viewing a piece of content, we all have this inherent well, what's this person going to try to sell me? I don't know if I'm going to believe them. It's almost like this BS meter that we have when we're reading something online. So the question is, how do you disarm people immediately with your content? And there's a very specific way that you have to do this. And it's funny, most companies struggle with this. And, and I'll have clients I work with for you know a couple of years and still two years down the road, they'll send me a piece of content and they're like, Marcus, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, you're still coming across as biased. So how do we come across as unbiased? How? Well, therein lies the disarming. So let's, let me give you an example. So let's say that you wanted to produce a video or an article about what's the difference between concrete and fiberglass pools. All right, this is a very basic example here. But anybody, you take your stuff right now, the thing you sell and the thing your competitor sells, you replace the stuff that you sell with concrete and fiberglass pools. So this is how it would sound. Now, as I'm saying this, what I want you all to do is say, okay, how often does a brand, does a company speak to us like that online? Okay, so that's the test for, for you all right now. So it might sound something like this. You know, one of the questions that we get all the time here at River Pools is, so Marcus, be honest, tell me, what's the difference between a fiberglass and a concrete pool, and why should I choose fiberglass? Well, the truth is, you shouldn't always choose fiberglass. In fact, there are times when concrete is the better option. So what this video is going to do, it's going to explain to you honestly and transparently the pros and the cons of both types of swimming pools. And then hopefully by the end, you'll have a great sense as to which is the best pool for you. So I go back to my question. How often does a brand talk to you like that? So what do you tell CMOs that are you know, frustrated and you know, don't get that buy-in? Like, how can people overcome that? Massive issue. People say, I think, you know, bad content is our worst problem. And I think such and such. No, 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 no. All dirt roads in digital lead back to buy-in. If you have bad content, it's why. Because you probably don't have the right strategy, the right resources, the right people. If you don't have enough resources, why? Again, it goes back to buy-in. If you don't have enough people, it goes back to buy-in. If you don't have enough budget, it goes back to buy-in. If you don't have the right tools, it goes back to buy-in, right? People resist that which they don't understand. So the point is, unless we are extremely focused with buy-in, we're not going to get anywhere. Now, here's the problem, though. You could be a great marketer, and you could tell your team, hey, here's what we need to do. You might be the smartest marketer in the world, but there's this one psychological obstacle that every business has and every marketer has, and that is this. There's this old phrase, it sounds like this. You can be a prophet to the world, but nobody will listen to you in your hometown. And so because of familiarity, if you work in the company and you present ideas that are very against the norm, oftentimes the majority, and this is sad but true, you're going to have resistance and they're not going to buy it. So how do you get buy in? Well, it only happens through education, but generally not through you. Again, this stinks. So this is why you have to do, I would say, one of three things. And this is a very honest, frank answer. First thing that you have to do is instead of marketers always being the ones to go to marketing conferences, you need to go to your team and say, so what's my education budget this year to go to an event, me and my team? And let's say they say $20,000 or whatever, whatever your currency is. You say, great. Here's what I want to do. I want to give to the sales manager and to you 
my leadership team, I want to give you those dollars and I want you to go in my place this year. And then I want us to have a conversation about it after the fact. Now, do you think that's going to get a leader's attention? Uh-huh. Yeah. And how often does a marketer do that? Almost never. And so what happens is they go to the events, they get fired up, they learn new stuff, they come back, they present the ideas. And once again, it gets the no. Second thing that you can do. Second thing you can do is you can go to your leader and you can say, will you read this book? Now, here's the reason why I wrote the Ask You Answer. You, 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 know, you all now have read the Ask You Answer. I didn't write it for marketers. Marketers are already eating the dog food. It's leadership teams. And if you want to convert a leadership team or a sales team, you cannot talk like a marketer. Most marketers struggle with buy-in because they talk like marketers. Go online and look up the definition of content marketing. It is the worst definition for at least getting buy-in in the history of the world. You can tell it was written by marketers for marketers. It wasn't written for sales, and it certainly wasn't written for leadership teams. This is why when somebody hears me speak, they're like, you sound different. I'm obsessed with speaking exactly as sales and leadership speak. That's the language that I use. That's why I've been successful. That's why the book was written, to win them over, and that's who it wins over. So find a book, maybe not necessarily mine, but one that you know is written in a way that people can understand it, and ask your leadership team, will you read this? Don't even tell them what's in it. Say, this, I think, could change our lives, our business forever. Would you be willing to read it and have a discussion with me afterwards? This is very important to me. You don't pitch them. That's the second thing you have to do. The third thing that you have to do is you have to bring somebody in who is not a prophet in your hometown. So I have done over 250 workshops around the world with the single purpose of aligning sales, marketing, and leadership when it comes to digital. Because somebody comes in like myself who has been talking about this, is viewed as an expert, whether it's true or not. It's the way that it's viewed. And then here's what happens at the end of every single workshop. Leader looks at the CMO, whoever it is, and says, why are we not doing this? And CMO says, what are you talking about? I've been saying we should do this for five years. So there's the system. It's not fair, but that's the answer. Okay, so it's about buy-in most of all. What I wanted to actually ask before is that, are there cases where there's buy-in, but you know, at the end of the day, they have to invest money and they just don't have it? Like, How do they overcome that? No, it's, it's, it's uh, never really about the money. It's more about the pain. Okay, so let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I did They Ask You Answer and followed this philosophy in 2009, I'm flat broke. My credit cards are maxed out. I can't afford to pay attention. Right? So like I am broke, but yet I was able to produce the content. Why? Because I went from eight to six hours of sleep a night for two straight years and wrote an article every single night. After a long day when everybody else in the house was asleep, and did I feel sorry for myself? No, because that's the road that I chose. I said, I'm going to be a business owner. And so when people say to me, we don't have the money, I'm like, oh, that's funny. No, no, you don't have enough pain because if you had enough pain, you just would find the time to do this because you would value it enough. So it starts with the value of the thing. If we value it, we either A, find the time, or pay someone who has the time. And did you ever doubt that, you know, when you were about to be flat broke or even like actually broke? Did you ever doubt if this is going to work? I didn't have any other options. I didn't have another plan. That's the beauty of not having a plan B. So I think a lot of people these days, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, that's all right. You know, especially when they're using funding. I'm like, I didn't have no plans. Funding was my money. It's going to be my house that was going to, you know, be taken away from me and the kids, my wife saying, geez, what, what do we do next? And so that's what's beautiful about pain to me is it forces us to do things we never would have done, right? So like in 2009, I was actively talking about comparing our company with the competition, something that nobody was doing in 2009. I was doing it. Why? Because I was getting asked all the time the question. So Marcus, you know, how does your company compare to that company? Who else would you recommend? I was addressing all these questions. That's why today, when you research my competitors online, generally, oftentimes, you're going to find articles that I've written, not negative articles about them, but I rank for a ton of my competitors. For any questions about them and reviews of my competitors, I rank for that stuff because I was willing to talk about it. And that was unheard of at the time. But to me, it was just like, what do I got to lose? 
there's a beauty behind having nothing to lose. And that's what causes amazing change within industries. So this is how it works. Industries follow certain rules. There's certain norms. One day, what will happen is somebody will be in enough pain and frustration that they will break the rules and do something different. If they break the rules long enough, it will catch fire. It will become the norm. And so the rule breaker now will become the rule maker because what happens is everybody else has to follow suit. And they have to do that as well. So let me give you an example. It used to be that boating manufacturers, manufacturers, so they're B to B, but they're also B to C. So it's, they're essentially a B to B to C because they have dealers that sell their boats, right? So I'm really big in the marine industry. A lot of people have read my stuff. I've spoken there gee, dozens and dozens of times. Nobody in the marine industry was putting pricing on their website before I started speaking there. And I said, here's what's going to happen, manufacturers. One of you all is going to do this. Let's see who's first. Because as soon as somebody does it, that's the first domino and the rest of you are going to fall right in line because you're not going to have a choice. And now over half of the manufacturers have a build your boat tool on their website. These are multi-million dollar companies where you can price it out. And what people would tell me before, you couldn't do. There's no way you can do that. Now that's the norm. And that's happening in industries all over the world. And again, services, products, B2B or B2C. So if you're listening to this and you're a B2B service-based business, you are not the exception to what I'm saying because over half the clients that I have and at least half the companies that have read the Ask You Answer are B2B companies. Okay. So I actually agree with you that the it, it, you call it a pain, but it's also the pain and opportunity of uh, diving deeper than the other competitor. But how do you keep yourself in the edge right now, right? So you're like, you're in your A game now. And the problem with like entrepreneurs is, you know, there's either the, I'm going to, I'm going to title them just because it's, it's generic and everybody knows them. So like Steve Jobs would try to build the next challenge just to somehow handicap him to get to a point where he's delivering something more innovative, like promising more than he can deliver. Okay. That's putting yourself not like in a pain spot. Okay. Yeah. So Tesla that does easy. that every month. Yeah. Right? I don't think he's ever been comfortable, but, uh, but like on, on that note, like when you get there, a lot of entrepreneurs, I know that, you know, the dream is together, which is obvious, but then the challenge itself of doing that pain, you have what to lose. So when you have nothing to lose, I totally agree with you. When you start having something to lose, you know, I think they didn't price it because they were doing well. Right. You're exactly right. Um, comfortable is the enemy of change. It just always has been. It's the enemy of evolution. And so that's why I, I think your point is extremely valid. Companies all the time say, well, why are not more doing this, Marcus? I said, because they're fat and happy. It's the fat and happy syndrome, right? It's like for years in the swimming pool industry from 2001 to 2007. I mean, everybody in the U.S. had money for a swimming pool because you could borrow money like it was nobody's business. Right. If you could breathe, you could get a loan for a pool. And so – what was happening is you had all these swimming pool companies that were making great money. I remember they were going on trips at the end of the year with their vendors and suppliers, and everybody's just going out and partying. Fat happy syndrome. Then I said to one of the manufacturers at the time, this is when things were going great, like 2005, 2006. I said, why don't we just have an event that's not about parties, just have education. That's it. Let's really prepare everybody for what's ahead so that we can, we can always be ready for, for come what may. And I remember somebody said to me, Marcus, pool guys don't care about education. I thought to myself, you're an idiot. What a ding dong. <laughs> and so what happened when the market collapsed, pool companies weren't ready for it. Fat and happy. Hadn't prepared. Hadn't put away. Hadn't stored for the winter. Right? Uh, I went through that depression. Well, that recession of 2008, 2009. I'm not going to forget it. And another one's going to come around the turn. It could be next year. It could be the year after. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I course. want to get five years ahead all the time and stay five years ahead. So how do you challenge that? For, okay, I understand the companies, but how do you not uh, fat and happy? Like you're, you're successful already. You know, New York Times, you've done, you know, a lot. Yeah. You're keynote speaking everywhere. How do you challenge yourself to get better? Well, I think the thing about it is for me, I'm just obsessed with watching the marketplace. And let me give an example of something that what I think is, is the next step of, of what we might call content marketing, right? What everybody pretty much does right now is they just – they consider content marketing just giving information online with articles or videos. And you kind of learn that way. 
And I'm looking at that like, but that doesn't really mimic the perfect sales experience that we had for 100 years. So for 100 years, what we had is the ignorant buyer. And I don't say that in a bad way. It's just it's true. The ignorant buyer would go in and talk to a salesperson. Now, the salesperson, assuming they were a good salesperson, they would ask the buyer a series of questions. Based on those questions, they would make recommendations to a point where they were able to say, okay, it sounds like this is what you need based on everything you said. And the person would say, ah, yes, that was the perfect sales cycle. So the question is, can we mimic that online? Is it possible to mimic the perfect sales experience where it's almost like a choose your own adventure where somebody comes to you and on your website, let's say I was doing this for pools. All right. And I said, I said, okay, so you're looking for a pool, answer a few questions And we'll be able to, you'll be able to identify exactly the pool size and shape for your needs. Sound good? Click here if you're ready to get started. Person's like, boom, yeah, I'm ready to get started. And then I'm going to ask a series of questions, right? So do you see this pool mainly for fitness or for fun or whatever that thing is? How many people in your family are going to be using the pool consistently, right? So there's a series of questions I'm going to ask. Now, as I'm asking these questions, I've built an application that allows them to continue to self-select to the point where at the end it says, okay, based on all the answers you've given, here's the right pool for you. Now, that is called self-selection. And self-selection, or choose your own adventure, as many people knew it from back in the day when we used to read those books, self-selection is the future of combining digital sales and marketing into one perfect little place. Now, a lot of people won't do this. Here's the reason why. You probably think it already. Because their sales team would freak out and say, well, this is going to replace my job. And the argument has to be, well, we can do that and get left behind, or we can do this, and then what will happen is people will come to you, salesperson, and they'll say, I already know what I want because I did that thing on your website, and I just need you to confirm that that was the right choice. No, but yeah. it just, okay, I agree on the point that the, it may switch, like salespeople may be irrelevant, okay, in some sense, but it makes a new opportunity from that because yes. what we're looking at now is a relationship meant guy. Customer meaning, success. Exactly. It's like retention. It's uh, yeah. it's account management. It's loyalty, which is, which is a major factor, by the way, uh, sorry, strategically more important than a salesperson because at the end of the day, that's I building the that. brand. So it's I a bigger that. opportunity. They're, they're more, I, again, I'm sorry for this, more talented because they're not opportunistic. They're, the relationship can't be an opportunistic person. It's not incentivized by how much they sell. It's how long and how much do they talk, yeah. like something that's not, it's not ROI oriented, but it's definitely um, uh, something that you can have uh, KPIs and, by, and, and it's better for the brand that we're focused on that. So it's a good thing. It means the, the product, in, in my opinion, the product has to be good. The relationship has to be yes. uh, honest, but it's a new opportunity of a new kind of sales. For years, we've held stuff back during right. the buying process. And for years, we've thought to ourselves, I hope they don't ask this, this one particular question. I hope they don't go there. Right? And so that's the ostrich with its head in the sand. right? And so uh, the whole premise behind the ask you answer is when you become obsessed with the way buyers think, well, then you're constantly challenging yourself. Right? That's, and that's, you know, to your to your question, that's that's what I'm living. I'm saying, all right, self-selection is this is the future. Now I can say that okay, we can just continue the way it's been, but no, no, no. This is where we're, this is where we're headed. Now, as part of self-selection, that will evolve. It'll evolve into video experiences. It'll evolve into VR experiences. It'll, it'll have all these different ways that it's manifest. But self-selection, without directly talking to a salesperson, but getting what we feel like is a more honest, more complete answer. And the thing about this, though, is unless companies are willing to say that they're not a good fit for somebody, this doesn't end up working. Exactly, because it's right? going to look biased. That's right. And that goes back to disarming. And so one of the things that I teach companies that I believe in so much, and you do not find this online, you research 100 websites right now, 100 different companies, You'll be lucky to find this on one, and that is this. It's way more important that a company says what they're not than what they are. So most companies only say, here's what we do. Here's who we are. This is why we're awesome. But they don't say, but here's who we're not a good fit for. But the moment you are willing to say who you're not a good fit for is the moment you become dramatically more attractive to those who you are a good fit for. Case in point, 
somebody says to me, I know that I want a very customized swimming pool that looks like an L in my backyard that has a 10 foot deep end and it needs to have, you know, a thousand square feet. I'm immediately going to say, well, we only sell fiberglass pools and fiberglass pools do not come in that shape. They do not come in that size. And so if you're looking for a pool that has that much area, that has that exact shape, and you know that's what you want, well, then fiberglass pools are not a good fit for you. See, almost nobody's willing to say that. They're like, wait, 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 wait. I know you said that's what you want, but let's, let's look at fiberglass pools for a minute. I mean, that's really what you want, and let's talk about why you want that. I think that's a disservice. What percentage of companies have you ever seen that talk about what they're not and who they're not a good fit for? Very rare. That's a good example. Like, I understand that example. I'm, the product AB of pools, like, I, it's easy. I'm going to try to challenge it in, in, a, in an area where it's a little more... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'll give you like a Pepsi or cola. It's, it wouldn't be an A or B. So what would you say, let's say if I was, if you were to, to try to disarm the person trying selling it? I don't, I don't necessarily think I would try it with Pepsi or cola, but I can tell you Red Bull did do that, right? So Red Bull, who I think is owned probably by one of those, Red, yeah. Red Bull was, they came out and said, yeah, it, it tastes like crap. Right, And they were really just totally good with that. They said, we want it to taste awful because it has a uniqueness and it's not for everybody. And therefore, you're special mm-hmm. if you like Red Bull. Right? Great example. I mean, who really loves the taste of Red Bull? Right, And that's what made them stand out at the beginning. And there's certain, you know, there's certain types of vodka that are famous because they taste terrible. And, it, and it's almost like this right to passage. We're not for everybody. If you take now a service-based business, it gets very easy there too. So let's, for example, let's say somebody came to my agency and said, well, how does this apply to your agency, Marcus? I would say this. If you're looking for an agency that will write your content for you, that will produce your social posts for you, well, then we're not a great fit. But if you're looking to learn how to do that yourself in-house, but you want somebody to hold your hand and teach you how to be world-class with that while you're learning to do it yourself, well, then we might be a great choice for you. See the difference? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not what companies do. That's not what they say. That's not how they talk. No, they're going for the sale. That's correct. And that's a short-term solution because to your point, it come bite you on the other side. That's what makes a bad review. That also comes from pain a little bit. Definitely. You know, I'm scared. I'm scared of, of, of losing this client because I need the money. I'll sell anyways. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's, that's going to, you know, bite you in, in the ass afterwards. You're right. But, because you take a, co- a company, a SaaS company, like, like HubSpot, right. for example. So, they have two problematic metrics or KPIs that the salespeople have. So on one side, they've got their sales quota numbers. On the other side, they've got retention slash churn numbers. And so they're in this constant battle of if they have too high of churn with their customers, that's not good. Right? It doesn't reflect well on their job. Right. Right. They get a knock against them. At the same time, they got to they got to produce the high numbers. And so. How do you merge the two? And this is, you know, I think the outrageous outrageous transparency makes you more attractive to the marketplace because people come to me all the time and they say, Marcus, I want to work with you, man. I want to do the ask you answer. And my immediate response is almost always, well, I'm not sure if you're ready for the ask you answer. What do you mean I'm not ready for the ask you answer? Well, it takes a special company to think like that. And I don't know if you all have the mindset yet. Well, what do you mean? Well, like, I think we've got a great mindset. All right, well, let's dive in together and let's see if you really do have it. Because until you're willing to walk away because of your radical transparency, you will not elevate that incredible level of attraction to your particular company or brand in most cases. And maybe you're going to have to go through some sort of period where you're losing because That's correct. you're selling to everybody and now you're trying to become niche. And it's a bit ironic to say niche because niche just means selling to people who actually should be sold to. Correct. You're going to lose yes. money. But, at the, but you know, in the long term, you're actually going to make money because people are going to be coming to well, you because they trust you and because they want to buy from you because they know that you're a right fit. Well, it also goes back to that, that wonderful book, Good to Great, Jim Collins, yeah. Hedgehog Concepts. Great and like, what's the one thing you do better than anybody else in the world? You know, with my swimming pool company, the two greatest decisions that I ever made, number one, it was right around 2006 or seven. I said, why are we doing all this other stuff? Why are we selling hot tubs and pool tables and tanning beds and all this other crap and have retail stores? 
why don't we just install fiberglass swimming pools? And that's it. That's it. And so we got rid of everything, got rid of the retail stores, and we said, we're just going to be a fiberglass pool installer. And everything started to change there. The second thing we did is we said, all right, why don't we become the best teachers in the world with respect to fiberglass pools? That's when we did the Ask You Answer. I didn't try to do all that other stuff. I didn't do social media even. I wasn't doing any of that. I said, we're going to be the best teachers in the world through text and video. What happened? And of course, it did happen. That's how you get to the point where you get you know three quarters of a million visitors every single month about learning about swimming For pools. A pool company. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm sort of wondering, you could have been fat and happy with Riverpool, like you got it to a place where you could have just you know sort of leaned back or maybe not leaned back, of a you know sort of smooth sail, and yet you've set on an adventure to sort of get this uh, message of yours to as many people as possible. And I'm wondering what your motivation for this is. Well, I've just always been the type that was, if it's working, man, I got to, everybody needs to know about this. So instead, instead of a, what would, you know, some might call a scarce mentality of, geez, I'm going to kind of hold this in. Might as well, I'm going to start talking about this. And that's why I started the personal blog in 2009 was because I was like, this stuff is working, right? And I knew it would change other lives. And the biggest reason why I started the agency was because I kept having people say, well, that worked for your pool company, but I don't think it would work for us. Finally, I'm like, screw that. Screw all this that people are saying, no, it's not going to work. And I'm like, I went out and I just chose all these little industries to work in. And I've got so many crazy case studies. I mean, crazy case studies. Let me give you another example. It's in the book, but I've got an appliance company in Boston, Massachusetts. They sell kitchen appliances. They embraced the Ask You Answer, and they became the most trafficked kitchen appliance company in the world, more so than all the big brands like GE and Bosch and Mila and all them. They get about a million visitors to their website a month right now. Now, they write stuff that nobody would ever write. Let me give you an example. Used to be, again, they Ask You Answer, they would be asked all the time, so what appliances do you fix the least? Right? Classic question. And so what the, the owner there, Steve Scheinkopf, decided to do, he wrote an article called The Least Repaired Appliances for 2000 and whatever, 18, 19. He does it every year. And what he does is he tracks the total unit sales for every brand that he sells, the total service calls that he runs on those brands, and therefore you learn the percentage of the least serviced and the most serviced brands that he sells. And he creates this huge chart for you to read on his website. That's crazy, right? Now, that article right now, that one single article on his site, it gets read 50,000 times a month. A month. And let me tell you what. What are the brands 99% of, of companies would never produce that. And why? Because they would say, I don't want my vendors to get upset. Yeah, what you're asking now. Right? And what does Steve say? Okay. Steve said, who keeps my lights on? The customer. And that's the beauty behind the Ask You Answer. They is the buyer. That's the company. It is not the vendor. Because now the vendors are scared to death of Steve Scheinkopf. He runs that industry. And they know that if they don't do it right, they're going to be held accountable for it. That's, you know, all this crap about influencers. No, no, no. That's an influencer. You're an influencer when you don't need to say you're an influencer. It's when brands completely change their stuff because you made them. You made them. One other example. This sounds funny, but it's true. For years, fiberglass pools were built a particular way. You would dig a hole. They would put sand at the bottom of the hole, pack the sand, and put a pool on top of it and pour the concrete patio around it. That's dumb because – How many buildings are built on sand? How many driveways are built on sand? doesn't make sense. In fact, the Bible, which is 2,000 years old, it says don't build your house on sand. And sure enough, they were built on sand. And so we taught that you have to build a pool on gravel. Why? Because gravel, when it goes down, it's compacted already. And it doesn't wash. It doesn't move. And so when we started this process, roughly 10% of pools were built on gravel. Today, 90% of pools in the U.S. are built on gravel. That's how you become an influencer. Because what happened is homeowners now were doing the research, and they were telling the pool builders, hey, I read on that one blog, on that one site, that it has to be gravel, and you're telling me sand. I was getting calls all the time from dealers around the country saying, Marcus, you're killing me here. 
they're making me install this with gravel. I'm like, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Because you're putting a stinking pool on sand. You build sand castles with sand. You don't build pools with sand. So this is what's possible when you become the trusted voice. Tell me, what would be your superpower? Well, I, from an early age, realized that I explain things, oftentimes complicated things, in a way that people could understand them better than my peers. I was going to say, by the way, brutal simplicity of thought. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's what I, I, I felt like. And it's brutal, right? You, you have this uh, knack of not only simplifying a thought, but also saying brutally simple, meaning that it's not even tried to make simple. It's just the brutal truth <laughs> of things. Like I tell people that if somebody hears me speak and they say he's a genius, I feel like I failed them because what I want them to say is, my gosh, this is so obvious. Why are we not doing this? Right? There's a difference between the two. Yes. Because if you say, man, he's a genius. Wow. Here's what happens. It seems unattainable. Right. Right. Yeah. We discuss that a lot between us and with other guests sometimes about how sometimes uh, there's a tendency, the more a person is insecure, that's how we see it, to sort of try to complicate things and to try to sound like an authority. But you're losing yes. the people along the way. The simpler yes. that you make things, the more that you're going to create report and the more the people are going to trust you and the more they're going to want to be around you and buy from you and get your service or whatever. And it's a, it's a real disease when people sort of complicate life that way in order to feel in order to hear that. What a genius. But you're so right, Marcus, that when you hear that you're a genius, a red light should go on because it means I didn't fully understand what you're saying, but it sounds like you totally get what you're saying. Yeah, they, they become authorities. But the problem with authority is you won't come to a police guy and ask him for help. But you definitely come for the information sign of the police station and say, hey, can you help me out? So you don't always want to be an authority because no one, you know, can come up to you as an authority. You want to be an accessible authority. You want to be the teacher and the teacher can be an authority. The right. problem is when the teacher becomes somebody that you can't understand. And that's it's a different type of authority. That's not a healthy one. Well, there's a beautiful phrase. Again, going back to simplicity, it just goes like this. It's dumb not to dumb it down. Right. And I just think it's so beautiful because... The goal is never to sound smart. And the moment we try to sound smart, that's the moment we start to look stupid. Awesome. Brilliant. So I have a question on the other side. So what would you say would be your kryptonite? I would probably say for me personally, I don't always say no when I should because like everybody else, I want to I want to help people when they want it, right? Or I want to participate. And you got to be... To be really, really successful, you have to be selfish. That's a difficult balance there because you want to give. But if you give too much, then it'll take away from your mission, right, from your from your goal. Seko did something before anybody else did on his blog. He turned off comments. And it was like, oh, that's so unsocial. But he did that because he realized that the comments would influence where he went with his thoughts. And he didn't want that. And he didn't want to spend his time answering comments. He wanted to spend all of his time thinking about, okay, what do I need to be talking about? What's on my mind? You know, what am I seeing in the world right now? And I came to really appreciate that. That's why today a huge amount of bloggers don't have comments on anymore because they realize the same thing. That was his way of saying no, right? And to, to me, I've had to learn to say no to certain things because especially the more known you become and the more – quote, successful the world might see you as, the more opportunities come your way. All of them sound nice because everybody's got a nice pitch. But the fact is you shouldn't be doing most of them, right? And it's one of those, somebody once said a great phrase. I think it's really great. Um, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah, Derek Seaman. And that really is. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I agree. Tell me, and one, one more thing. I really like the point that, that you made in the beginning that I think a listener uh, really should write down. And you give the five, I'm going to call it for like the Bible uh, notes, that you gave. So let's go over it slowly, just the big five, so everybody can note that down. Yeah, the big five is fundamental to your content marketing success and to your sales team using your content uh, in their sales process, right? And so they are really based on the five fundamental questions that everybody asks before they will engage a company. And these questions are aligned with the bottom of the funnel, which again, makes them very sales relevant and allows it to produce the most leads. The five are cost questions, anything about cost, price, rates, etc. Okay, that's number one. Number two, problems or negatives. 
So usually those questions start with, is it true that someone told me that? So what happens if those are the negatives? Number three would be comparison or versus based questions. What are they comparing your product or service with? Now, this could also be, though, two things that you offer that people are saying, well, if you or me, which would you choose? So for me as a pool guy, it would be somebody saying, Marcus, I can't decide between a rectangle and a kidney-shaped pool. Which would you choose and why? Right? That's a perfect example. Or Marcus, I'm looking at regular concrete for my patio or pavers. Which would you choose? Why? These are things that we need to ask. Number four is reviews. People are obsessed with reviews. You should be reviewing your own products, not just the marketplace. You should create the best reviews for your own products, the most thorough, intensive reviews of your products or your services. And honest. Number five, best is number five. They're constantly searching what is the best. So for you to come up with best base piece of content where you're openly talking about the competition, talking about the marketplace, and helping the buyer understand what that looks like, that's the best. And if you do the big five for each one of the products or services you sell, You'll find that, oh, geez, there's lots of versus questions. There's lots of cost questions. So this alone is a year's worth of content. Regardless of what you sell, I promise you, you'll have at least 100 pieces of content at a minimum of those big five for whatever products or services you sell. Brilliant. And I really, really strongly recommend for our listeners to read the book. Maybe should they wait for the new edition? When is that coming out? Yeah, the new edition is out. It's on Amazon right now, barnesandnoble.com, all of it. The new audio is coming out in about two months, but the new book is out right now. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll add the show, in the show notes without we'll a link. And if anybody has a question, they can email me, marcus at marcusheridan.com. Like any listeners, if you're listening to this, and you're like, hey, I don't know about what you said about here. Just email me, marcus at marcusheridan.com. I love personal interaction and um, we can have a conversation about it. And he said that's his kryptonite, so he is going to answer. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm definitely going to utilize that now that I know that that weakness. I'm going to going to drive you nuts now. Daily That's it. Email. You're done. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. This email is not working anymore. Uh, we really appreciate you doing this. We think our uh, listeners are definitely going to gain value out of this, and we hope to do this again sometime. Where it seems like you keep gaining new insights, and it would be so interesting to learn what you how you see things uh, down the road. Oh, there's plenty more we could talk about. So, no, Ronan, thanks, thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. Your audience is awesome. And let's, let's run this back sometime. Perfect. All thanks, right. Man. Bye for now. Real life. Superpowers. 